Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Hello to everybody and welcome to the HTI Open Plaza podcast. My name is Valentina Napolitano and I'm a professor of anthropology at the University of Toronto. And we are here today with some other distinguished and wonderful colleagues, Professor Jonathan Hamilton-Biabo and Professor Christine Norget, who will introduce themselves very shortly. And we are here today to discuss, debate, open up, um, a conversation around the recent visit of Pope Francis to Canada in July 2002 under the theme of really reconciliation of the state and the apology for um, uh, the history of um, uh, residential school and other issues of First Nations and Catholicism. In the Turtle Island, we use the word Turtle Island to really refer to um, North America, this is the kind of indigenous word that is used to refer to this area of the world. And today we want particularly to address issues that have to do with um, the Catholic Church, but also more broadly with the questions of reconciliation between um, indigenous people, First Nation, uh, the Catholic Church, and also the state. And we also want to open up a discussion about how theology is changes in changing in relation to the transformation contact issues uh, with indigenous histories and with the indigenous life. So we are really interested at that intersection of thinking theology as something very alive, very political, but also very alive and very alive. Um, so we hope to be able to open this discussion and feel. Uh, please feel free to then contribute with your own thoughts through the website or to get in touch with us. This is really an ongoing, uh, we hope, open debate. So um, I just want to very briefly introduce myself. Probably from, your accent, from my accent, you have detected that I am sort of Italian and sort of um, been trained in England and live now in the Turtle Island. And apologies, I want to do first a um, land acknowledgement for uh, the work that we are collectively doing this land. So um, we wish to acknowledge this land on which the University of Toronto and McGill University stand. For thousands of years, it has been the traditional and ancestral land of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, the Ashinabeg, the Odenoshoni, the Petun and the Sasagot of the Credit First Nation. Today, this land is still home to indigenous people from across Turtle Island. Those languages, nations and life ways remain present and resilient. We are aware that a land acknowledgement is far from felicitous in addressing the dispossession and displacement of indigenous people in the ongoing history of settler colonialism. Yet, here we want to humbly thanks the possibility to work and create in this land. So having acknowledged that for this collective work, um, I just briefly mentioned, you know, something about the history while I've become interested in issues of Catholicism and indigeneity too. As an anthropologist, I suppose that that's kind of, it's a kernel that it's, uh, 
it's been studied and needs to be studied very much. And I just wanted to say that I grew up in Northern Italy. Uh, my history comes from a very sort of communist father who was doing with, dealing with the law and a very traditional Catholic mother. Uh, and I grew up in a situation where Catholicism was in the 1970s and 80s was, you know, majority, absolutely majority religion in Italy, and also had particular connivances, particular connection with the state. And yet I came up and grew up in a context where Catholicism was already, you know, working very interesting in penitentiary, carceral domain, as my father also was dealing a lot with uh, issues of um, a major financial corporation scandal in which, you know, a particular connivance also the state and the Christian Democrat Party, which was ruling at the time, was very much involved. So I'd already experienced the elasticity of the church to be able to combine, uh, I would say, in some cases, a very exploitative type of economy and relations, and at the same time being at the forefront of liberatory and emancipatory project. So in that way, I've always been interested in that. And more recently, I have, you know, in the last decades, I've really been involved in uh, Zen Buddhist practice and finding the connection between Buddhism and Catholicism as also practices that are very entrenched. And another side, I think, of Catholicism, which is very important to mention here, which is the practice of mysticism and, and uh, justice. So the connection between mysticism, politics and justice is really running through my biography and my practice, really, my daily practice. So this is a little snapshot of what we are. So we, I am an anthropologist and I perhaps give now the word to Jonathan Hamilton Diabo to present and introduce himself. And uh, yeah, great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Valentina. Um, I'm so happy to be here and thank you for the invitation. Uh, my name is Jonathan uh, Hamilton Dybo. Uh, I am assistant professor of theology. Um, I'm also an assistant professor within uh, Victoria College as well. So I teach at Emmanuel College and Victoria College, um, which is part of Victoria University at the University of Toronto, uh, quite a complicated um, uh, setup that we have there, but I've actually been uh, at U of T for 22 years. Uh, majority of my background actually is in student services, uh, what's known as First Nations House. I was there for nearly 17 years and um, was the director there and then also was in the provost office as well as director of Indigenous Initiatives. Uh, I'm also currently the special advisor to the president of Victoria University on Indigenous Initiatives. I am Mohawk uh, from Ganawage, which is a community just outside of Montreal, so actually where I was raised, uh, but I've been in Toronto since the early 90s. And um, my interactions uh, with well, this area, actually, it's just, I, I can't say it was something I was interested in, it was just something I grew up in. Um, I grew up as a Catholic in Ganawage, that's how I was raised with my family. Um, over time, though, I've also have been in other parts of Christianity, so uh, Baptist Church, United Church, went to United Church Seminary, um, and so I had a, a very interesting journey uh, in, in terms of my own uh, beliefs uh, with my family as well. Um, I am teaching, uh, a lot of my work uh, is focusing in on 
uh, indigenous relationships, when I look at uh, the complexities that happen, and particularly uh, within uh, looking at the church, uh, looking at things such as the uh, Truth and Reconciliation residential schools, um, thinking about what it was like, the 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 thinking behind all that in order to kind of create these schools, uh, but also to really uh, have people understand the diversity within our communities as well. Um, that way there's not a uniform approach, there isn't a uniform way, uh, just even with my own background indicating, you know, my own background very, being quite diverse in some way, which isn't um, uncommon, but it, it is not the only story uh, that we have. So it's really introducing uh, people to that story, the multiple stories that exist within Indigenous communities. Um, and when I do speak, I am speaking primarily from my experience uh, from my perspective, uh, I've had the opportunity uh, to learn from uh, so many different people in our community, whether they're knowledge keepers, elders, um, other colleagues, students, you, you get to over time, and I think that actually comes from my student service background, uh, is, is you get to work really closely with students and, and, and hear their stories. Um, and some of them do talk about their own experiences within education, some talk about their experiences within the church as well, if they have been part of the church. Um, I've had students who have gone through residential schools or their family has gone through residential schools. So you, you get to hear a little bit about their journey as well and, and their own perspectives on some of these issues. Um, in the last few years, I've been really focusing, as I mentioned, on this aspect of um, church relationships. And I think it's really important to explore that uh, because of, from, you know, from many perspectives, I think a lot of people don't understand what it does within a community when you have these kind of discussions or not even have these discussions, but these feelings that are occurring. Um, and when an issue pops up, how is a community reacting to some of this? And, and again, within a community, it's, it's not um, one approach or one voice or one feeling. Um, and, and so these are things that we need to kind of walk through and think about. Um, and so for my own, my own uh, way, I use, I love to use story. That's kind of how I, I interact with my classroom, uh, which I also hope that we're going to be sharing as well as this, this whole aspect of, of story as we move forward. And um, I, I think that's kind of it for me in the sense of, um, I guess, a little bit more of, of who I am. Um, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Uh, I have three children. Uh, we also have a bunny and a cat. And I'm also... Um, I'm also a big Habs fan. Uh, so any Montreal, so any Montreal Canadian fans out there, um, last night was a good night, is all I'm gonna say. Um and, and that's it for me, and I'll now pass it on to Christine. Okay. Hello, I'm not a Habs fan. I'm embarrassed to say, even though I live here in Montreal. <laughs> um Hi again, everyone. Uh, I am uh, Kristen Norget. I'm an anthropology uh, prof here at McGill in, in McGill University in Montreal. Um, I've done many years of research uh, in southern Mexico, specifically in the state of Oaxaca, which is home to many different uh, indigenous communities and languages. 
Uh, my work broadly has addressed Catholicism, both in terms of how people uh, themselves see and practice their faith in all corners of their lives, but also I, I uh, necessarily uh, grew interested in movements within the church proper, um, liberation theology, uh, and its outgrowth indigenous uh, theology. I mean, if you do work in Oaxaca, you can't uh, overlook the strong indigenous presence and indigenous issues that inform the, the work of the, the church there. Um, I have been really looking forward to this conversation, which especially thanks to, to Jonathan Agreen to be here with us today, allows us to take a, a deeper dive into these themes of reconciliation, the tragedy of, of, uh, of the residential schools and, and, and so on, it, it, and Indigenous themes and the church here in Canada or Turtle Island, uh, which is closer to home for, for me. Um, I uh, grew up here in, in Canada. I did not have a religious upbringing by any means, un unlike you two, um, which is probably why I became so fascinated with, with, <laughs> with well, Catholicism in Oaxaca or Catholicism in Mexico, uh, more to the point, which I, I quickly saw contrary to my preconceptions of what Catholicism was, was very vital and very rich and multi-sensory and, and, you know, very important in, in many people's lives. Um, so that's what drew me into this, uh, this field of, of interest more broadly. Um, if I can just take us into the first theme of, of uh, our discussion, um, I, uh, want to take up, which is, you know, the, the primary theme, the, the really thorny one, that of reconciliation itself. So uh, we have the situation where um, Pope Francis came to, to visit in July to these three significant sites in, in Canada, right? So, and we all know that uh, reconciliation is uh, a process. It's not a punctual event. Nevertheless, it seemed that that some indigenous people um, that I, you know, saw being interviewed on various media outlets, or even people non-indigenous, uh, the public at, at large, also fed by the media coverage, seem to be fixated on um, the potential apology by the Pope for the abuse at the indigenous schools, as though it was the, the key act in reconciliation, or without that, no forgiveness uh, was possible. And he did grant an apology in the end, kind of, but this fixation still kind of baffled me. And it begs the question of what is at stake really in this reconciliation, both for uh, Indigenous communities, for members of Indigenous communities. Of course, as you were alluding to, Jonathan, you know, some people don't even care, right, or care less. Um, but uh, both within Indigenous communities, there's huge diversity and, of course, you know, the public at large. But all that said, there seemed to be a, a lot of interest in 
will he or won't he apologize for you know these these heinous deeds that the church was responsible for in the past um so what is at stake in reconciliation both for indigenous peoples and the church and what is the common ground here can reconciliation as a kind of debt that is owed um possibly mean uh the same thing for the church as it does for members of indigenous communities so either of you who wants to take up that i can start and you know i think what you said around reconciliation being a process uh it is a journey I think some of these ideas around reconciliation is that there's an end goal. And really what it, it is about is, is this idea of either establishing or reestablishing relationships. Uh, and in some cases, reconciliation is not the right word, it's conciliation. Um, for some communities and, and for some people, they feel, well, we never had a relationship, a good relationship to start off with. What are we trying to go back to? Um, so for some, it's actually this redevelopment. And, and the thing, though, when it comes to reconciliation is that when it comes, when we're talking about this, it's, we have to also really think about what the truth is. Um, we talk about truth and reconciliation. There's a reason why they're put together. Uh, that truth is that whole understanding that um, that being able to take in some of the experiences and listening, uh, and sometimes that gets missed. We just, you know, automatically try to, well, let's just try to fix this. And it's it's not something you can just flick a switch or put a, you know, can't, it's, it, you can't put a bandaid on this. What you're looking at is um, this longer journey together and to understand that it's not going to be uniform right across the board uh, on, on this approach. You are going to have um, people who, uh, from Indigenous communities who are, not going to be open to this. It's it's the the thinking is this is not my responsibility. Um, I didn't do this. Uh, others who are are open to this as well. So you're gonna. It's again. It's a learning process about about the understanding of the diverse communities, uh, how nations work, um, how people's own perspectives also fit into all this. And as, as you mentioned a little bit about the fixation on the on the pope and the meaning of an apology, again not one not one uh, approach is taken on how people react uh what i've been able to witness over this over the summer is such a wider range of array of how people are reacting to this but it's not just reacting because of the pope they're reacting to kind of the news from the year before as well of the the burials the unmarked burial sites they're reacting to kind of the whole trc uh, you know, coming out in 2015, they're reacting to the Royal Commissions of Aboriginal People. So this is kind of something that's been longstanding. It's not just been more of a recent phenomenon. It, it's something that's kind of been there for many Indigenous communities as well. And I think for, for some, this apology was really important uh, to, to members of our communities. Uh, for them, they just were looking for a, an acknowledgement of their own experiences. And I think that's important to really understand, and particularly to those survivors, what it meant to them. Now, again, it, it wasn't a, uh, there isn't one approach or one reaction to this. Uh, we did have other people who had such a strong reaction against this. 
um, right? They felt it was too late. Uh, we asked for this a long time ago. Uh, and for others, it was more of a wait and see process. Um, and, and, you know, okay, you said it, now what? And and again, and, and, and everything in between and all the expectations that came with it. Um, so we have to also understand in terms of the reactions for some, this apology actually for them started as, as part, well, maybe not started, but it was actually helping with their own healing for others to reopen the wound. And so we have to understand how this is, is going to work for different people and different communities and how they're going to address this. Okay, thank you. And I, yeah, that's, thank you. It's really very, um, very kind of thought what you said and also kind of generating of many different ideas right now as I perhaps add in to some, some of the things that you have opened up. I think that another thing that we perhaps also thought with Christine that we wanted to um, think in terms of this reconciliation and apology was the way in which the Catholic Church also became and is still indexical of the Canadian state. And in general, so more broadly and globally, how the Catholic Church become indexical of the state. So if we think about the moment that we are living now, and some anthropology have said that we are, at the, I think rightly so, we are at the, at the end of what is called the liberal settlement. What is the liberal settlement? Is this kind of imaginary idea that this came out after the Second World War, that there was a division of the world between kind of democracy and non-democracy, between, you know, states were kind of democratic, to be followed and you know the global south or the development countries who needed to you know come up to speed with that with the end of this kind of liberal settlement idea is that we realize that a lot of states a lot of nations as states in particular are undemocratic from within <laughs> and you know we can think about the phenomenon of trumpism but brought to our discussion is also to open up what is that connection between the state and the Catholic Church and to rethink in the state, the Canadian state, in a very deep and profound ways. So what I'm saying that this visit also looked from another perspective also is a continuity in process with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission to really open up what the state is beyond this idea that is just a guarantor of democracy, because we have seen that certain democratic ideas have not worked. So opening up this idea of self-sovereignty of the First Nation people is very important. And with self-sovereignty comes the process of acknowledgement, of recognition for what you are, not for what the states want you to be. And also the idea of the apology makes this kind of contact very important. This is a contact in a land. People have been saying quite importantly of the visit of Pope Francis that he came to Canada and sorry, to the Turtle Island. And he came to want to do an apology to have a contact with people and the land, a sensorial contact. So that um, this question source of sovereignty of First Nations is also a process that is embodied, it's embodied on the land, it's embodied on the traces of history, and is embodied in an economic theology, perhaps we can talk a little bit later, a, a way of livelihood that has not been recognized by the Canadian state. 
So in that sense, I'm really glad of what Jonathan said that, you know, apologies have been taken in very many different forms and some have been completely also kind of distanced to say and say this perhaps is not new. And so there is also a possibility of refusal of this kind of moment. And I think that, that it's a part of a very important process. So I, I leave it probably to Christy now to just- okay, yeah. Thank you. That What a wonderful opening to this uh, conversation. Thank you both. Um, I, I would like to uh, segue into our, our next theme, which is that of Indigenous Catholicism itself. And it it's always seemed to me, uh, certainly um, when people ask about my, my own work in, in Oaxaca and in you know things I've, I hear on the street or from friends or in the media and so forth here, here in Canada, um, that there's a, a view, and this is very much a secular view, that uh, being truly Indigenous and being Catholic um, are somehow incompatible uh, identities in that given all the evidence of the diverse kinds of uh, abuses of uh, members of Indigenous communities from colonial times and until the, until the present, um, someone affiliating an Indigenous person, more to the point, affiliating with the Catholic Church is somehow a kind of betrayal or a sort of inauthentic kind of identity somehow. So I'm wondering how we might understand this differently from a theological perspective, from an ethnographically informed view, um, a community perspective, and of course, uh, from a personal perspective. And if I could say very briefly from, from the outset, uh, what I've seen in, in Mexico is that people um, are consider themselves, might, might consider themselves, and they are good, faithful Catholics, but it has often very little to do with what I refer to as the institutional church or complying with expectations of the sacraments or confessions or following things to a to a T. Um, and for Indigenous communities where I've hung out, um, you know, for five centuries, people have really made uh, Catholicism their own um, so that it is a their Catholicism is, and it, it is Catholicism, is a complete inter, intermeshing. It isn't just a syncretic blend, but a real intermeshing of indigenous ways of looking at the world or cosmovisions, and including the priorities of indigenous communities, the interdependence of, of community well-being and individual well-being um, in a larger kind of fabric of, of faith that is definitely Catholic uh, and includes, you know, sometimes adherence to the sacraments and so forth, but it isn't inauthentic or, or somehow false. Um, so that to be indigenous and Catholic is not some kind of weird contradiction, but rather a very natural and unproblematic sense of self or, or identity. Uh, and I'm interested in, in uh, your takes on this and I, I, especially yours, Jonathan. Well, no, thank you for bringing it up and thank you for that context. Um, quite honestly, that was a question that I had very early on uh, when, when it, I was asked about being Mohawk and Catholic. And the first question was how? Um, thinking about the worldviews and, and again, the very 
that very statement of, well, look what the church did to your people. And how could he be part of an institution that, um, you know, subjected indigenous people to, to traumas and, and, and to really try to assimilate um, individual uh, communities into kind of the, you know, a different way of thinking. Um, fair question. And so I think what it opened up to me is, as I said, I was raised Catholic. So very much, it was just kind of who I was. Um, my grandparents, my parents, uh, my great grandparents on, you know, on, uh, on my, my, my father's side were very, had long connections to the Catholic church. Um, however, though, I felt they did not give up who they were. And I think that was number one, something I got to recognize. How I thought about this over time was that um, I had to separate the faith itself differently from the institution of the church, the organizational aspect. And I think the, re the reason why I started to think about it was, well, that's run by humans. And humans come in different ideas, biases, thoughts, um, in which can impact those who are part of it. And, and I really had to kind of keep that distinction in the sense of, of the teachings themselves and, and what they were informing me and organizationally what was being done. And so I think that's kind of how I was able to, and, and still am trying to reconcile with all that. It's still, you know, there's just, there are still days which I question, okay, why am I here? What's going on here? Um, but I, what I've seen too over, you know, uh, my experience with, with the churches is that there has been efforts to uh, change this um, within my own community. Uh, one of the notable notable changes um, was the fact that they start to incorporate um, some uh, ceremony within this, the service. So when I grew up, I also had the opportunity, I could hear the language, it would speak, they would actually have the choir in Mohawk. Um, you know, and that was for specific services. They would do the Lord's Prayer in Mohawk. So there was those ways of how to include, you know, some of the, the culture into the uh, into the service. But it wasn't transformational in the same way. Uh, then we start to see more inter, inter, integration, um, seeing uh, either tobacco or sweet grass or, or sage being burned. Um, there was uh, there was an Anishinaabe deacon who was part of the community who started to bring in these uh, different traditions and different ways, uh, incorporating them into the services. Uh, also, as well, uh, going to the four directions. So there were some changes um, that I got to witness over time. Uh, and although I haven't been in the community for a long time, I've been able to uh, stay connected into some of those what what's going on there. Um, I. I I think what we have to understand is that for many indigenous people and those in the church as well um, have learned to uh, operate within a structure that's been kind of given to them and to how to make changes. And so what we've been seeing a lot of is the inclusion of, of certain aspects of indigenous culture. Um, but I think what's starting to happen is this transformation, which is different. So it's not just in adding into, but in some places, we're starting to see this actual change happen. Um, however, though, to understand and, and some of the struggles that happen for Indigenous people who are operating within the communities, uh, within these, these Christian communities, 
um, is that there is still resistance to the change. So um, although you may hear broad acknowledgements or broad statements about how to work with Indigenous people, but when it's starting to really change the structure of, of the church itself or questioning or challenging kind of what's the status quo, um, that's where the resistance comes in because it's not just about including or adding in, but it's suddenly changing how the church does things in order to reflect on um, what Indigenous people want. And, and so I think this is, to me, I see these kind of interactions happening as well. Now, as you mentioned, yes, there, there, there are a lot of viewpoints of, on me being a Christian from community members, um, other community members who feel you know, people like we should not be operating or or participating um, in in Catholicism or Christianity because it's not our religion in the sense that it's never been ours. We should be true to our own ways, and I do respect the viewpoints when people have that. Um, they may, through various reasons, are are of that opinion. Um, but I, the way I I tend to look at it is, I try to work within and try to find ways of helping transform so it becomes more reflective um, of, of different traditions and, and more not just welcoming or inclusive um, but that's where we're starting with some places is, is, is adding in or um, making sure that there's presence there but I think it has to be more than presence it's really going to be uh, a transformation or else for many Indigenous people it's, it's not going to be for them and, and so I, I think there's there, there's a lot of um, things that we still have to consider um, and mentioned. There's still going to be those who are struggling, uh, who are challenged, who are challenged with their own beliefs, and and people do leave because they still feel you know, um, and in particular with more and more news coming out about residential schools, and and again with the as you mentioned the state interaction and and the and the church interactions. Um, become quite discouraged and 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 decide to um, you know to leave. And so I think these are a lot of things that we need to contend with and and try to work out. So um, yeah, so it's still it's still this ongoing journey and, and learning um, that I go through personally. Um, and so you can just imagine what it's like for other community members as well as they're grappling with this. Can I ask you something to follow up on that? Um, I, I, of course, the Catholic Church wasn't the only church, Christian church, responsible for abuses against uh, and, and and very sadly sometimes uh, it, it resulting in the death of of Indigenous children in residential schools. Are other churches, Christian churches, any better or more proactive about dealing with this this stain, if I can call it that, euphemistically, from from the past, in in your view, there is a. It depends on the on the and the denomination. It depends on the relationships with the 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 um, with the communities as well. Um, so yes, there has been different degrees of work. Um, I don't want to do a comparison of who's better or who's not. Um, you know, it, we talked about the apology. Uh, there was a lot of people finally saying, well, it's about time the church did this. 
Um, but the truth is, you know, all the other churches didn't automatically um, apologize when they were asked to. Um, one example is the United Church. They did they did offer an apology in 1986. However, um, the request came from in 1981 uh, from an individual within the Indigenous community. So it again, it wasn't an automatic. Oh yes, we should be doing this. There was this this gap, um, and each church had done that as well. Now again, they all engage in different ways. Um, and, and I think the focal point had recently has been on the Catholic Church. They were the largest, they, they had the largest representation within the residential schools. Um, the apology was really focal as well. So I think there was a lot of tension, but I think what we have to understand is that um, for many of the churches, they're still trying to figure this all out. They're still trying to figure out what it means truly to have relationship. And I think what's happening is that when we get to, to the transformation aspect, there's resistance. Because when we talk about transformation, what's happening is that we're asking those who are normally used to having influence and power to give it up, to give it up to a new way, to give it up to, uh, you, you're trying to change the status quo. And that's very difficult to do. It's very easy to say, you know, okay, I'm going to move over and we're going to include more people. It's very hard to say, I'm going to walk away from this to allow someone else to take my spot. And, and that's what I mean by transformation. So I, I still think there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but there is work happening in all different ways. Uh, and, and, and very much like, you know, even the Canadian population and, and who are dealing with this, they're at different spaces right now. Um, so I'm just, I am encouraged uh, by seeing, you know, that there's there's definitely an intent and a want to do this, but it's also figuring how to do this. Okay, thank you so much. And maybe so, if I can just add a few things, you know, in relation to this. I'm so glad that Jonathan bring up this kind of multiplicity of the world opening and, and a work in progress, because also there are, there are a lot of issues that you know there's not just the what to do, but the how to do it. And I think the how is so important so importantly connect, connect to the what. Um, and a couple of things that really jumped to me is like the questions of the liturgy that Jonathan is talking about. That is not just about adding, you know, adding a cultural form in which kind of indigenous Catholicism can be expressed or indigenous religion it becomes part of Catholicism. But I just wanted to go back to the visit of Pope Francis and the real violent moment I perceived, and I do not know if, but I assume that other, you know, indigenous people perceived it, which was the moment of the liturgy in Edmonton of the public mass that was a liturgy in Latin. And that one to me felt like, again, I'm not an indigenous person, but it felt like a moment of recreating that trauma and that violence of, of being felt like you were not part of it. And yet at the same time, I think that liturgy becomes a real interesting area where a lot of possible, you know, new forms of uh, not just to reconcile, but putting the indigenous experience in its plurality as the index of what is present now and that what to come. So I wanted to, uh, to, to specify what I mean. I want to think about the initiative that Pope Francis have moved now, you know, in relation to, first he had a very important critique on um, uh, 
the what he called the globalization of indifference. This idea that capitalism has really put certain type of people at the margin and created a whole kind of waste of people, including indigenous people, and put them at the kind of periphery of the development of capitalism. So that we need to do something as Catholic to move through and against this. And uh, more recently as introducing this initiative of the economy of Francesco, the economy of Fran Francesco as Francis I, that is really trying to bring together a set of economists and also young people to think about the connection between debt, guilt and the future and the gift. And I think that the, the, the plurality of forms of living of indigenous people really as anthropologists signal to us a way in which we are kin to the world, in which we treat the commons like water, um, you know, forest as persons. And we are in relation, in a kin relation to this kind of forces. And how do we begin to integrate that to a new form of economy that needs planetary to emerge? So, and a lot of liturgy of First Nation really brings out that kin relation to people, to person in the world, which are not just person in terms of human flesh, but person in terms of existence, sentient beings, earth beings. And this, I think it's a fun, you know, it's, a, it's, it's been a long time, you know, uh, things that not just anthropologists, but really opens up that to the central of the economy of the world now. And another thing that I wanted to bring forward is that to put the questions of violence and apology at the center is also, and the different ways in which this indigenous community are, and, and not just community people, because we always assume they are community, but they're also itinerary people that are find the how. For me, it's also to rightly to refuse the fact that indigenous people as once again, imagine as the savior of the world. You know, we don't, I think it's very important not to put the mantle of salvation once again to, you know, the kind of first nation as the ancestral bearer of, you know, the kind of knowledge of the land. These are always in process, always opening, always full of contradiction. And as that, we need to embrace a kind of dialogue that has repercussion in the way which, you know, an economic theology in a real economics is, is worked through now, especially in the relation between, in this case, indigenous people and the Canadian state, but also indexical to me of a wider um, condition that we are living, even planetary, I would say, the importance of indigenous people in the planetary discussion. Thanks, Valentina. And I was uh, thinking while you were uh, uh, dis discussing these issues of the environment and and uh, Francis giving to Indigenous people uh, an importance in terms of seeing them as uh, having a a knowledge about the world that is of value and in terms of the future of of us all and i i was uh wondering uh, about this tension between that responsibility and yes i do think it you know we all need to be aware of of 
shifting this vision away from you know indigenous peoples being responsible for the future of of the well-being of of the planet um and yet that role is always it it seems to be continually uh the same this and there is a sort of paternalistic i see sometimes and i i don't know if jonathan agrees with this or has seen it as well uh this way of kind of fixing indigenous people in uh in time and in some ways in that they are for example during the synod um the many indigenous people weren't sort of at the table discussing many of the the important themes that the the pope uh put forward but it was a sort of a symbolic event, which was an interesting sort of opening up this in, interesting sort of corollary political space uh, to bring to the to global awareness these issues. The Amazon is kind of the heart uh, of uh, planetary well-being, as we know. Um, and and so I'm wondering, you know, about this tension. Um, you know, indigenous people are important. But there's a caveat on certain uh, conditions. Yeah, that's that's actually an interesting um, thought. And, and I said, you know, I, I think what we look towards is, uh, as you mentioned, you know, indigenous people have all this knowledge, and and how are they going to save us? And I think the way to look at it is, um, to me, it's about a finally a recognition of the of the knowledge and experience that indigenous people have that can work with others as well. So again, it shouldn't be just saving, uh, you know, or putting it on indigenous people, but what we've been seeing, you know, and, and this was an example of a non-inclusion. Uh, we have all these discussion, but we don't bring in um, these, these perspectives that are as valid because it's, it's not seen as, you know, at the same kind of knowledge. It's a second tier kind of knowledge. And I think there's a more there's a um, a greater recognition now. We we had a land acknowledgement, and I find many times many people aren't aware of like why do we do a land acknowledgement? It's just something that we have to check off. And to me, it 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 goes back to this idea about relationship, and that's really key. Um, it's around relationships with the land. It's understanding that reflection. It it's the understanding of the stories of the peoples who who've been on the land. But the thing is, though, it's it, it's not a one-way relationship. The land sustains um, all life, not just just human being, uh, human beings, um, but all life, and that we have to respect that as well. That we're not the only ones, but we have a responsibility in in addition. So when we talk about this whole idea of 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 you know people relating to each other. It wasn't just how do we live with each other on this land, but how do we take care of the land as well? We've got to get back. And so again, it changes that notion that we have a responsibility. We have to also really think through our own relationships. Um, and, and the land acknowledgement gives us that moment to reflect upon that relationship that we have on the territory we're sitting on and all the stories the land holds all the narratives that are there, how can we learn from it as well? Um, but, and, and that we are also part of the creation. You know, we, we, we're we not there to dominate creation as well. Uh, although 
sometimes biblically it talks about this whole idea of dominion. And so if you think dominion into domination, that's a very different aspect of, of being responsible, um, being having this responsibility given to you of your domain, which is a little different in the sense of how do you serve it as opposed to how do you rule over. And so I think it's a shifting of perspective that is also needing to happen. And then I think, so again, it's not just necessarily all the knowledge and, and wisdom of Indigenous people, but it's that perspective that, again, that should be that should be seen as, as equal to other perspectives. And if Indigenous people are not being part of that discussion, you can say all you want about how you really want to engage with Indigenous people, but if you don't, if you don't include them into these kind of any kind of discussions, um, and again, not just environment. Um, I, I think there's also this idea that Indigenous people can only speak to certain aspects and, and kind of ignores everything else uh, that we can contribute to. And, and I think that's also another part is just that's happened for so long, is that many um, the contributions of Indigenous people have not been viewed or included into the larger di into larger dialogues. Instead, um, I find a lot of the times that we're either seen as, uh, as you're talking uh, paternalistic, you know, we, we are kind of seen to be as wards that we didn't have the ability to think or the ability to, um, you know, we need to be taken care of. Um, so again, you have this viewpoint of victimization, this viewpoint of, oh, poor them, we got to save them. Um, and, and that's not how it should be. Um, there, and, and the recognition that Indigenous people have been contributing to a larger dialogue in, in so many different ways, uh, but that side has always been ignored. And so I think it's it's time to recognize that as well. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh... Is there time for me just to say something briefly about care that I think is so sure. important, Jonathan? Absolutely. That you brought up, you know, this tension between dominion and care. We are really at the shifting moment here because, you know, a lot of, you know, some of the indigenous claim and not indigenous, just indigenous claim was about rebuking this Treaty of Tordesillas in 1493, which actually scripted within the Catholic Church the possibility and the right of dominion into the Americas. And, and now, you know, Pope Francis opening up another domain with, with all the contradiction and violence of the Catholic Church still existing, which is really this kind of question of care. You are completely right. Thinking of care and the relation between care and justice so the indigenous mode of living, which is about not just the care, you know, there are multiple ways of thinking about care, but one care that is like, I take care of somebody else because he's suffering. That's, that's one idea of care. But also the idea of care is much more, I take care of the world that I'm here, also as a form of justice. So the justice is not just rational, you know, created by the law, but is embodied and lived. So in that sense, Jonathan, you're completely right. The indigenous experience and knowledge is also not just about environment, it's about law through the act of expanding a notion of care. And I think that questions of care for Pope Francis been coming really to the forefront, perhaps, you know, also with the questions of bringing his alien body as the reconciliatory point. And yeah, but care, Jonathan, Totally agree. It's so important. Yeah. 
Okay, I'd like to uh, thank you both. I'd like to uh, steer us towards um, the topic of the dual nature of the Catholic Church as being composed of both clergy uh, or the church hierarchy with its own internal dynamics and organizational forms and lay Catholics who can vary from the most devout and, and, and pious individuals, as we know, to others who identify themselves as cultural Catholics or lack, lapsed Catholics and so on, but their Catholicism uh, is, is, is still informing or uh, how they live their lives, how they act in the world, uh, how they identify themselves uh, and so on. But, um, so this uh, is interesting because it's part of this, this uh, flexibility of the church need, needing to be um, inclusive of, of certain deviations, shall we say, of, of doctrine or, or uh, movements within the church that are, that sort of threaten the authority uh, of the center. And uh, this is a question that is begged here and that can be addressed at, at different levels is how far is the church, especially the post-Vatican II church, willing or able to uh, bend to accept the marked difference uh, represented by what you were discussing uh, before, Jonathan, of you know, the enculturation of elements of Indigenous culture or in Indigenous religiosities here or anywhere uh, without risk risking its own integrity or coherence. And I was interested by what you were saying, of, this is, a, you know, the possibilities for transformation. I mean, th these are in some ways superficial things. But they, they're, these changes, including, you know, little elements of, of language or certain, you know, patterns of liturgy and so forth from Indigenous culture into the Catholic one, into Catholic litur liturgy. But you, you alluded to transformation uh, and relationality. This is about transforming relationships in a more kind of coeval, horizontal way away from the strong verticalism that is normally uh, or conventionally attached to the church. How can we see this um, transformation happening? How, how can we recognize that it's actually taking place or what are the potentials for it in, in the long term of transformation within the Catholic church? And you can take this, yeah. this of course can go in all sorts of different ways. So in terms of changes afoot in, in the church globally. Yeah. Well, I think what I've been seeing and one of the things that churches have to do is understand um, who are they, who are they appealing to? Um, if I look at the church right now in just say, uh, Ganawage, and, and not just the Catholic Church, but the United Church that's there. Um, the one thing to know is, is, is the population. Who's there? Um, I don't think there's, there's many youth, or if any youth available. And so I think one thing that have to be considered when we're looking at this is, 
uh, the survival of the church within communities. And this isn't the only community this is happening. It's really appealing to those who are attending are, are from a generation of, you know, uh, an, uh, an older generation, but it's not being passed on. And so we, we have to look at what the church is doing right now in order to try to um, make itself more open and appealing to, to younger generations uh, because they're not interested. They're not interested in whether it's the liturgy or the way it's run. Um, because I think what we're looking at with this transformation is, is a lack of representation. For many, they don't see themselves reflected uh, in, in, in the church. They don't see themselves of how does this, how does this appeal to me? Why is this, how are they speaking to me? And I think until you can do that, um, you, what you were going to see is um, less and less people attending. Uh, and, and I think this is something that's going to be problematic. Um, if I look at how many Indigenous people are actually clergy and, and in their own communities, I, I, I could hazard a, a, um, an observation that there's very little. There are people out there. Um, but the, the issue is that when you have a few people who are doing this, they're being asked to do other things as well. And so their attention is being pulled away a lot of the times away from their own communities into trying to help, you know, with these discussions with the church. Um, and, and again, um, in certain things, what we have to be aware of is maybe the, ch the church itself is thinking, well, we are being more open and we're including people, but, uh, you know, in a service and, and um I think what we have to understand, though, is what roles people are actually playing. Are they just there as, um, you know, that they've been invited and look, we've invited our 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 one and only deacon here or priest here uh, to be standing next to the Pope or to be part of this really important event, or are they actually participating? And so we, we're still kind of at that stage of that whole idea of inclusion is good enough. Um, and, and I think as going back, as, as was I saying, um, that the difficulty is when, it, when you're asking for transformation, then those who are used to seeing things a certain way are being asked to sacrifice something. And, and suddenly when it, when it impacts them, they're less likely to want to be engaged in this whole process of reconciliation because wait a minute, I've got to lose something. And this isn't like just a temporary lose. It's like a permanent something I'm losing. And so I think when we look at the churches and, and how they run, uh, as mentioned, they're, you know, they're very guarded with their integrity. They're very guarded with the tradition and, and don't generally want to veer off too far from it. Uh, so when you start adding in, um, when you start asking for change, I, I think that becomes more difficult. It doesn't mean it's impossible. I've seen it um, because at one point I would not, growing up, I would not imagine uh, uh, a cleansing ceremony happening in a mass ever. Uh, interesting enough for me though, and I was an altar boy, um, you know, I've seen where the, the priests walk around with incense and I start making these connections of what's the difference here? Yeah. Really, when you think about like the, the, the ceremonial aspect of it, what is this representing? The cleansing, 
uh, of a very different type of, of, of the incense was really powerful. I, I, I could, the smell still resonates with me today. Uh, but now, as I said, seeing kind of a cleansing using just a different medicine in a different way. So you start to see some of these changes happening, which I think is, 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 is good. But there's also what we have to understand that there's also some resistance as well among the members, the community members, because of what they've been told as they grew up. They've been told that this, this is not part of your, you know, this is not part of our, the, the Catholic way. This is not part of Christianity. So you can't be doing this. Um, and so it could be seen differently as being, um, you know, just not accepted practices. And so I can imagine for some, you know, when they grew up in this kind of environment, it would be very difficult for them to see these changes happening as well for them. And so to understand that there's ways of how the church has really impacted communities over so many, like for such a long time, uh, is that it, it, it changed our views of our own ways, our own cultures as well, and, and how it's impacted us. So I think um, there has to be that recognition of if, we could, if there's a continuation with how things are done, and it always will continue, um, the, the progress of these kind of relationships and inclusion are, are going to be very slow. And, and again, the question will be back, okay, what was the point of the apology then if, if, there's, if there's not going to be change? And I think that is the, the big, the, also the, the other question is, okay, so what, what else is going to happen? Uh, the apology happened, what's next? Um, we, we, for many of us, we do understand the apology is not, uh, you know, it just doesn't fix everything. It is part of that process to continuing the healing and that relationship building. But I think there's going to be challenges to how certain things are done. And, um, and, and I think for some, for some of these, these, these communities to continually to survive in First Nations communities, uh, they're really going to need to figure out how to how to change to to be more open to different ways of doing things. Uh, I, I just want to thank everyone once again. This has been such an interesting conversation has opened up so many avenues of thought for myself and i'm I'm sure for um, some of our listeners and and for you too. Um, but thank you, Valentina, once again for taking part. It's it's been wonderful. Thank you very much. It has been really a pleasure. Yes. And Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. I've learned so much. Thanks. Thanks again. for inviting me and being part of this discussion. It was really enjoyable. Um, so I really appreciate the opportunity to participate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.